Good morning. Uh, wow. Welcome. Hello. There we go. Good morning. There we are. Uh, very excited that everyone's here and really, truly grateful that we get to do this this morning. Um, there's been a lot of, of hard work and a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, meetings that have gone into this day and really grateful that you're here uh, to be a part of this now. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, our speaker um, who's going to be with us this morning doing an introduction to the panel and who will also be with us this evening um, from 9 to 11 at the jazz celebration. Uh, we're going to have live jazz music, uh, we're going to have readings from some of Dr. King's works and uh, Pastor Ince is going to be uh, delivering another reflection for us uh, during the evening. So uh, it's my pleasure and privilege to introduce him. Uh, pastor Ince uh, was the founder uh, and pastor of City of Hope Presbyterian Church, uh, where he pastored for 10 years um, in Columbia, Maryland. He is currently the pastor and director of Grace DC Institution for Cross-Cultural Mission. Um, he and his wife uh, are moving to DC soon to take up this uh, new role in this new position. He has four children ranging from ages 13 to 25. His second born is our very own Nabil Ince. Uh, he did his uh, Masters of Divinity, Divinity at RTS and his DMIN at Covenant Seminary, and it is a privilege to have him here with us. Please give a warm Scots welcome to Reverend Irwin Ince. Thanks, <laughs> Good morning to you all, Covenant College. Okay, let me try that again. Good, good morning to you all, Covenant College. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Happy MLK Junior Day. It is uh, really a privilege and honor for me to be invited back here. Uh, this is kind of where it all began uh, for our, us and our family's relationship with Covenant College. Uh, this is five years ago in February. 2013, uh, Nabil's senior year in high school, where I was invited uh, by Christiana to, uh, to, to preach at uh, chapel service. And, um, uh, and I thought at that time, and I'll say a little bit more about this in a few moments, but uh, that's when I said, you know, this might be a good place for our son Nabil to attend college. And so I tried to be coy about it. You know, as a parent of a teenager, you don't say, this is the school I think you should go to. It's just not the way it works. So I tried to say, you know, Nabil, you might want to consider just checking out this Covenant College. You know, they've got this spring preview weekend thing coming up in April. Maybe you and your mom can come down and, and you can check it out. He, he says to me he knows what I was doing, but he, he obliged and uh, uh, and really was, uh, was enraptured in this weekend here and, and applied to Covenant, and the rest, as they say, is history. So uh, here we are. I have the pleasure of spending a few moments with you this morning to, uh, to introduce this panel. Uh, these young folks will be sharing with you this morning and to really talk about why conversations like this are necessary. And so I want to do that by way of just, you know, sharing with you Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. regularly uh, preached from 
A few verses of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to, to 46, the words of our Savior in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son to arise on the evil and on the good and change, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And here's what Dr. King said in 1958 about the civil rights movement. He said, from the beginning, the, a basic philosophy guided the movement. This guiding principle has since been referred to as nonviolent resistance, non-cooperation, and passive resistance. But the first days of the protests, none of those expressions was mentioned. The phrase most often heard was Christian love. It was the Sermon on the Mount rather than the doctrine of passive resistance that initially inspired the Negroes of Montgomery to dignified social action. It was Jesus of Nazareth, he said, that stirred the Negroes to protest with the creative weapon of love. He said, you would have asked Dr. King, well, what is Christian love, Dr. King? What is love? He would say this because this is precisely what he said in one of those sermons. He said, love is a refusal to defeat any individual. It is a commitment to defeat evil systems. He says, you refuse to do anything to defeat an individual because you have agape in your soul. Dr. Joan Brown Campbell, who was a young woman when she met Dr. King, said, she said this, she said, for this message, he was jailed and ridiculed. He was seen as one who disrupted the careful order of life that preserved privilege and special status. His radical spirituality called the cool, unfeeling faith of many into question. Why is this panel important? What, what's the significance of it? Why? Why do we need to hear the voices of these African-American brothers and sisters who are about to take this stage this morning? I say to you, it's simply because Christian love is still the guiding principle. And Christian love is not interested in uh, preserving privilege and special status. Christian love is not interested in a cool and unfeeling faith. No, Christian love is particularly concerned with our neighbors and their well-being. To quote Dr. King again, he said, love is understanding redemptive goodwill for all men. So if we're going to grow in learning how to love well, Conversations like the one this morning are necessary. And as I said to you in the beginning of my words here, I am glad that my son Nabil came here to Covenant College. I believed that when he applied to this school, it would be 
a good place for him, and that belief has gone on to be verified and, and validated. But Nabil is not our first child, he's our second, and our oldest child precedes him by four years. I've been in the PCA, Covenant College's official denomination, for almost 17 years now. I've been serving in pastoral ministry. This is my 12th year of serving in pastoral ministry in this denomination, and so I have gone to our annual general assembly for years, and I would get uh, the free Covenant College t-shirts for my children that were handed out at the booth. So we all were aware of Covenant College. We all had the t-shirt, but particularly when it came to start looking for colleges for uh, our oldest child, Covenant College was nowhere on our radar. Not because we didn't know about it. We had no intention of ever recommending that any of our children go here. Why is that? It is because at, a, at the time a deep and, uh, uh, and, a deep and, and, and pretty abiding concern about sending our children into a particularly and overwhelmingly white Christian space for these formative years. Would they find a sense of belonging if they came to a place like Covenant? Would they, would they be welcomed in their embodied black selves? Or would they experience the the mantra that you find in these kinds of spaces so often that because we're Christians, we don't see color. Love that looks like redemptive goodwill is not striving for colorblindness. It is the kind of belonging that takes place when those who are not part of the dominant culture are valued by finding that room is being made for them, by folks listening to them, by desiring to, to learn from them. Dr. Christina Edmondson, who was with you all here a few, just a couple of months ago. Do I get credit if I say she's a friend of mine? I get some? Yeah, she's a friend. But she wrote this very poignantly, a couple of years ago in an article uh, she wrote back in 2016, she said, instead of hearing the experience of the other, owning the consequences of our own cultural narcissism, we fast from different voices and turn to news outlets, places of worship, and friend groups that match and fertilize our biases. This approach, she said, ensures, it ensures our entrenchment and our entitlement. This is important this morning because it is very important to hear uh, and to know and to engage the experiences of our brothers and sisters here on this panel this morning, uh, particularly life for them as minorities on this campus. It is important for the pursuit of Christian love. It is important for the Christian love that that presses against a cool and unfeeling faith, a love that presses against entrenchment and entitlement in our own biases. 
So I encourage you this morning in the name of the Christian love that Dr. King so eloquently spoke of to open your ears and to, uh, to embrace this desire to listen and to learn and to love and even particularly to be made uncomfortable by some of the things that you might hear from this stage this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, we bow before your throne of grace this morning, thankful for the reality that we can say we love you, uh, not because we loved you first, but because you loved us first, because you gave your only Son to be the propitiation for our sins, and you have given us this love, not just for you, but this love for you that is expressed in the way we love one another, the way we love our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, and particularly those with whom we do not share similar backgrounds or ethnicities or cultures. And so would you, in the name of love, give us ears that are open to hear and listen this morning and hearts that want to move toward one another to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Berto and Naira and Eric are aware that, um, and we should be aware, they are not speaking for um, the entire um, uh, <laughs> black community. See, I'm, I'm really well needed up here. Uh, they're not speaking for the entire black community, but we are given um, the privilege here to be invited into and to glimpse uh, their lives as uh, black citizens and black students at Covenant College. And um, for that, we want to say thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, so we will start uh, fairly simple uh, with some, some opening questions. But I do want to point out, uh, we are going to take some questions from you guys. Uh, if you want to ask questions, this is probably the only time I'll ever say this, please take out your cell phones in chapel. And um, you can text the... If you text 37607, that is like the number that you text to, in your actual content of your text, put 270755 before it, before the question, um, and we'll come up. But first, um, who are you and where are you from? Uh, my name is Eric Peoples, and I'm from a small town in South Georgia called Sylvania. Nobody's ever heard of it. <laughs> My name is Naira Johnson, and I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Berto Dryden, and I'm from Brooklyn, New York, but currently live in Woodstock, Woodstock, Georgia. Um, are you nervous? <laughs> we will be kind. Um, Berto, uh, I bumped into you this morning at Rock City. Um, would you share with us just a little bit about what you 
uh, felt and experienced this morning as we listened to Dr. King's speech, um, as we prayed and sang together? Yeah, um, well, my first thought this morning was, wow, it's really cold. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it was, it was actually a really good uh, experience. Um, that was actually my second sunrise service. And um, it was really nice. Like, I mean, you're looking out to the, uh, to the view and you just listening to Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, his speech. And um, it's like, like right when the uh, speech started, like I got chills and I'm like, it's cold outside, why am I getting chills? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it was really nice. And then like to look around and you see like the whole, like not the whole student body, but like a good number of the student body there. And um, just experiencing that with you, uh, it was really nice. Um, I was around like this, uh, a group of people and um, Martin Luther King was like, look, I'm out in Tennessee. You can hear people like, oh, like, like, just like, just realizing like, it's not just a speech, but like, he's kind of like talking to us, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, it was really nice to like, be around people experiencing that. Um, Cause like, I mean, years ago, you and we, I couldn't have this opportunity. So it was nice. Good, good, good. Thanks. Um, would you be willing to, to talk a little bit about the different terms black, African-American, and person of color. Um, I think all of those terms are correct and you use one in a different context. Um, I think some people don't know which one to use in which context here. And so black, me and Berto and Eric will refer to, like we're black individuals, we're black people. Um, if I'm filling out a Scantron or if I'm applying for a job, I'm an African-American. It's like the politically correct term. And I'm also a person of color. And so they're all correct and um, not necessarily offensive if you use it in the right context. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, don't be afraid to like, I mean, there's, okay, I'm gonna give you an example. Um, there's two wheels on a basketball team. And sometimes you may not know, like, you may not know their last name or like, they're both tall. So you can't really like describe them, but like, don't be afraid to be like, hey, you know Will, Will who? Black Will. Like, <laughs> like, like it's, it's all right to say that, so. Um. Uh, Berto and Ira and Eric and I had a chance to talk about a lot of these questions, so certain questions are, are going to be directed to certain people. Um, but, Berto, this one is for you. Um, how often do you think about being black? Um, it depends. It depends on the uh, situation. Um, like now, I'm thinking about being black. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like, there's times with like, I don't know, it just depends on what situation. Um, there's times in the classroom where I don't think I'm, I don't like, I don't realize like I'm black. Like I don't have to think about being black unless like there's a topic about race. Then like sometimes I can feel like eyes on me or like whenever the topic is brought up in class about race, I feel like some people look to me to like give an answer and Sometimes, like, I don't just, I don't feel not comfortable saying or giving my answer, but, like, 
it's a difference between like having support a support system, which is these two right here right now, where I can talk about situations like this, and like being like in a classroom where like you're the only black person in the class, and like you have to be like the voice. But there's times where I don't think about being black, like with teammates. I don't really think about it. Um, Great Hall, I don't think about it. Just everyday life, I don't think about it. But there are situations where, like, you think about it. Here's a situation where I first came to Covenant, and I don't know if this person is still here. Um, so, like, no hard feelings. Um, but, like, there was, this, there was this girl. It was, like, my first week here. And there was this girl. She, um, she had to give something to a guy, and um, she couldn't go to the... Uh, she couldn't go to her to his room because open hours. And so she was like, hey, can you get this to so-and-so? I was like, all right, cool. So um, went to, it was in Founders. Um, so went downstairs and I, and I knocked on his door and I was like, hey, so-and-so told me to give you this to you. He was like, okay, cool, thank you. And I walked out and as I'm walking out, he's like, whoa, it's a black guy. And like, <laughs> like, I, I, like, I don't know, this, that's a situation where I feel like, okay, yeah, I'm black. But, like, <laughs> but like at that moment, I, I, was, I felt like some exotic animal or creature that he'd never seen before, and like, which was like really weird, but like I said, no hard feelings if you're still out there. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, like not every day where like I'm thinking, yeah, I'm black, but like there are situations where I think about it. Yeah. Um, Eric, you uh, specifically talked about this one. Uh, did you have talks uh, with parents, family, about things that you can and can't do uh, as a black person that the majority culture likely doesn't think of? Uh, yeah. Um, I and it's not just talks, it's just, I mean, even general things that I couldn't do. Like, my parents wouldn't even let me hold or play with water guns. And I didn't even know why. I was like, I want to shoot people with water, but they, were, they would not ever let me touch a gun or even have one or hold one. And then I remember um, getting in my car and having, you know, what do you do if, some, if a cop pulls you over, you know? Like, I've had those talks, and even just talks about, me having to work twice as hard, twice as hard as any of my Caucasian or white friends um, to get to the same place that they are able to get to. I mean, just those kind of talks in general um, that I've had in my, my life, so. Um, having to work twice as hard to get to the same place, has that, has that built resentment? Uh, no, no, I mean, it, it really is just, it hasn't built resentment in fact, it, it just motivates me, and, and I don't blame any of my white friends. I mean, that's just, you know, the privilege that they have and something that I, I don't have. Um, and that's not anything that they can do to change. It's just the reality of, you know, being black in America. Uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned privilege um, that they have by virtue of being white. Um, can you, would you guys share? Um, what do you mean by that? by white privilege, and, and how have you seen that played out in your experiences growing up? Right. Um, white privilege, it doesn't mean that 
just because you're white, things are automatically better or you don't have to work at it. It just means that if a Daquan applies for a job and a John applies for a job, they're most likely going to hire that John instead of that Daquan just based on how those, how those names sound. They're going to say, oh, Daquan is black, John is white. No questions asked. White privilege, it means, you know, it means me having to know and answer some of these questions on the panel, but you get to listen and never have to worry about it once you step out of this building. I have to answer those questions and know those questions like the back of my hand to be black in America because I know people are going to expect me to know those questions. That, to me, is kind of what white privilege is about. You guys want to? Yeah, just going off of what Eric said, the whole idea of just, you know, white privilege, this is not something most people have thought about. You don't have to. You can continue your life without, you can disregard everything you hear today, and it won't impact your life. Um, but for us, we have to know this stuff. We have to have these conversations with our parents. If we want to make a difference in a place like this, we have to talk about it. We have to have a panel about it. Um, white privilege in, at Covenant College is, you know, a simple thing. It's just being able to be around a whole bunch of people that look like you, might think similarly as you. But for me, I have to have, like, a certain community group that I go to to have other people that, are, that look like me. It's a... It sounds like a small thing, but it's a big thing to be around people that look like you. It feels different, right? You gravitate, you gravitate towards people that look like you because you think they might understand more about you. And so that's one thing um, I think me and I've talked to other black students we struggle with. It's just like we wish that you know, we were able to be around more people that were like us. And so it's really hard in an environment like this where ex especially you're having to defend why you might feel that way. So. And like... <clears throat> Like, white privilege is not something to be ashamed of, because I know, like, there's some people that feel like, oh, like, like you, like, you can't help being who you are. Like, you were born white, you were born black. Like, you can't help that. So it's not something to be ashamed about. It's, like, we bring up, we bring up white privilege. It's just, we feel like it's just something that you should know that exists. So, like, don't feel ashamed about, oh, like, I'm white, like, like, just don't feel ashamed about it. Just know that white privilege does exist. Mm -hmm. Eric, you mentioned that your, uh, your parents never let you play with guns, and you didn't know exactly why. Do you know why now? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> why, why wouldn't they let you? I mean, the harsh reality is, is that, you know, if I have a gun, and let's look at the case of Tamar Rice, you know, who had a toy gun, and he just... He colored the orange part and cops, you know, shot him up just for having that. He was 12 years old and to think that they would shoot somebody that was 12 just for having that, just for playing, that, that I could have did that. I could have been that kid with the water gun that just, you know, wanted to, you know, shooting ninjas or pirates or something and, you know, somebody could have called the police on me and it could have escalated that quickly. I mean, that's just, it's just the reality. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the police. Um, no one likes to get pulled over. You know, I think everyone, when, when a policeman falls in behind you when you're driving, there's that sense of, oh, no. Uh, at least I have that, and I'm, I'm assuming most people do. Um, is it different for you? 
Uh, yeah, not we, not just that tension, but it's like your whole body, like even just having a cop pull up behind you. It's not just that fear, but just having your whole body tense up, even and just being afraid, even though you're not doing anything wrong. It's just like you like can't even really focus on driving anymore. You're like, when is this cop gonna turn off or pull pull off or something? Because you know he could pull you over, and whether you know that cop was a nice guy or not, there's always a possibility that something can go wrong. You can you you could do something that is very innocent and still be shot. And so it's it's so it's scary. It it isn't it's something that I'm afraid of and I really don't even know why. Like nobody ever told me you need to fear law enforcement. It's just something that I've always just felt, like just a natural fear um of just being pulled over. And even even if I'm with a white friend and they get pulled over. They're more relaxed about it than I am. Like I seriously just get stressed just being around, just like even being in the car that's being stopped. It's it's not fun. Um yeah, I mean, it's it's very stressful. Um you could be driving, uh doing absolutely nothing wrong, but just the uh the tension that you feel when the police car is behind you is is something that like it's something you don't want to experience, especially being uh, black. Um, yeah, there's times like I've been, there's been times where I've been pulled over uh, with my brother in the, in the passenger seat, doing nothing wrong. And uh, my brother is 15 now, but it probably happened when he was like 13. And um, so we get pulled over and he just starts like to break down and he starts crying. And, um, it's just a it's just a terrible feeling because like he sees what's going on in the news and like and like getting pulled over he doesn't know if this is the last time that he's gonna live and I mean it's it's, it's just really hard um, it's a hard thing to go through uh, like I know personally my mom one of her biggest fears is uh, me or my brother or my sister going out at night or just not even at night but just going home or just going out and not coming back home because something happened to us with a police officer. Um, so that's one of her biggest fears. And then like Eric is talking about like, even with you in the passenger seat and there's a, you're with like one of your white friends, um, they just like so much calmer um, and uh, they just so much calmer. I was with a friend of mine um, about a month ago or something like that. And we got pulled over by the Taco Bell um, down the mountain, and um, first of all, it was like three cop cars that pulled us over, and so right then and there, first thing I do is I pull out my phone and I FaceTime one of my friends, Stefan, um, and uh, the reason why I did that was because I knew he was right up the mountain, and if just in case anything happened, one, he can see what's going on, two, he can hear what's going on, and if anything happened, he is more than capable to either get help, find help, or even come himself. And um, my white friend, uh, Will Crumley, um, he, uh, he didn't understand why I did that because um, that's just something that he doesn't have to experience because, like, I don't, like, 
I feel like with with being white, there's just something that doesn't go through your mind because, um, I mean, that's just not a fear that you have to live in, but being black, um, and specifically talking about being a black male, is something that you have to, uh, you have to think about day to day, especially with you driving and um, just the involvement and interaction with law enforcement. In a culture where the police are, are charged and, and are those who are supposed to protect us, um, and I have a policeman falling behind me, my fear is that I'm going to get a ticket. I mean, you mentioned that your mom's fear is that um, that could be the last time she sees you. Um, it sounds like deeply embedded um, racism, and that leads to a uh, question, does racism still exist? and how have you experienced it in your lives? As far as racism still existing, it's funny because you hear that question and you're like, does this need to be a question? But it does. Um, I've yeah. actually been asked here myself, no, I've actually been told here that no, racism doesn't exist, Naira, that's a thing of the past. I'm like, also being the only black person there, no one else, everyone's looking at me like, I mean, is he right? I'm like, no, um, but I can't defend that, you know, by myself. And so um, it's just really hard. I think for some of the people I've talked to, they, they imagine racism as how it looked, you know, 50 years ago. Um, White-only bathrooms, white-only restaurants and water fountains and stuff like that. Um, and they say, well, that's not happening anymore. And we've also had a black president, so racism doesn't exist anymore. But it does, and it, it wears a different mask. It's not, you know, the white-only things anymore. It's more so. It's more so just like the fact that I am the only black person in my classroom sometimes, or I'm in a place. At Covenant College is still like this, where there are only like 20 black students, and there are 859 of y'all. Like there are a lot of. I mean, and that's great. I love y'all, you know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, um, it's more subtle. It's systemic. I know that word has been going around a lot as well. Um, it just wears a different mask, and I think we need to educate ourselves. Instead of also coming to me and asking me to explain how racism looks today, educate yourselves, you know, research for yourself first. Before you go, can you guys push the table up? And I'm going to move this back a little. They can't see you, and they, somebody has asked. Sorry, I know you. <laughs> Is that better? Whoever said pretty, please. <laughs> All right, very good. Um, Eric Berto, would, I mean. Does racism still exist? Uh, yes. And just to go along with Naira says, it just takes, it has taken on a different form. You know, it is systemic. I mean, we're still fighting with discrepancies in the justice system. Um, we're still fighting to uh, have better education and very black districts, you know, we're still fighting some of the thing, same things that Martin Luther King was fighting. And I just want you guys to realize that that was 50 years ago. Like, that wasn't that long. And if you say that racism doesn't exist, then that, that's just wrong. That, that's wrong. Like, the inherent bias that some of you still have, you know, when you see a black person or somebody of color, you know, that's still there. Um, and I, 
I don't have the answer for the inherent bias or the, the, the implicit bias, but I mean, there's, there's still a lot of work to be done to, so that my children and Naira's children and Berto's children can have a better, fairer, and freer opportunity and more opportunities than I have and continue to have. Um, that's, that's it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about being specifically at Covenant, but um, talking about racism, several people have asked, um, have any of you experienced overt racism um, while being here at the college? Um, I mean, yes. Uh, it's not like, like they said, like racism, like it, it takes on a different mask. Like you don't see people like going about like lynchings and like, I don't know, like white only, black only. Like you don't see these things, but like racism does exist. Um, yeah, like. I don't know, just like, I feel like sometimes there's there's times where like, I feel like, let's say I show up late to a class. Um, I feel like my my skin color is, sometimes I feel like people think my skin color is the reason why I'm late. Oh, black people, they're always late. Or like, um, or like, let's say, uh, I feel like sometimes black people are always portrayed as angry. Um, I feel like, especially like with black women, um, they always portrayed as angry, uh, which is completely false. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, like it, it, like I'm not. There's not a, a specific instance where like I'm going around campus and people are just throwing the n-word at me. It's not like that, but like, um, but like, it's just, like racism, it just looks different these days. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you see, you see like, there's black people that get treated differently, or like, um, I feel like there's times where like students here, they would uh, talk differently around us to like adapt to us. Um, so like, you see, you see, the student, like, you see white people, they act different towards uh, the black people. Um, I don't know if it's on purpose. I don't know if you guys feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable when you're around us, but um, yeah, it's just, like, black people here, I feel like we, we get treated differently, so. Also, just going off of that, like, and when you say racism, it sounds really extreme, and so I don't wanna blow anything out of proportion, but a lot, another way it could be looked at is just like when you attempt to relate to us and it's done poorly. And so I have a few examples, but and I know, I don't know if this person's here, um, <laughs> but don't be offended. Uh, so there are some remarks people have said around me and to me that offended me. And also being the, like the sole black person there in that moment, like I felt I just had to swallow the pill, you know, and I didn't want to make a scene. I don't want to make it, you know, about race, like being that girl that's making it about race or whatever. But I mean, like literally just the other day, um, I was 
I was somewhere on campus, and uh, we were just talking about middle names. We were just talking about our middle names, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really like my middle name. My middle name is Aaron. My, my real name is Aaron Elizabeth Johnson, so my middle name is Elizabeth. And so I was like, yeah, I don't really like it. And this girl goes, I feel like black women don't like their middle names. I feel like that's a black thing. And I'm like, I think I've noticed equal amount of white women as black women that don't like it. And she's like, I don't know. I really just feel like it's a black thing. I was like, maybe you're on to something. Oh, yeah, just that. <laughs> and so there have been moments like that. And then, and again, like, I love you <laughs> because I know you probably know who you are. But <laughs> there was another instance. Um, oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, there was another instance where I was in my friend's room and the same person was there. And we were talking about, we were talking about my hair. And so um, there's this thing where, like, you get a perm or whatever. Like, I think with white people, there's a certain perm you get. It makes your hair curly. For black people, there's a certain perm you get. It can make your hair straight. And I was like, you know, explaining to her, like, yeah, when you perm your hair, it stays straight. Like, that part of your hair is straight forever. And she goes, well, you know, no, it isn't. And I'm like, what? You? I was like, <laughs> like, what? She's like, no, I went to a school. Like, I went to a black school. Like, I, so I know. I know about this. I'm like, in my head. I'm thinking, I am black, so I know this. <laughs> but I was just like, all right. <laughs> so like moments like that where like I feel like behind that was the intent to like show that she knew about me and my culture, you know, like I think that's a good intention. But how are you going to discredit, like how are you going to say like, I don't know something that you, I, I, it is who I am, like anyways. So, so we may have instances of white people relating badly. Is that fair? Um, do, you find, is, do you find that there's a, um, a strong sense of people trying but not knowing what to do and therefore doing things that are either humorous or offensive? Is, is that not uncommon? So yes, I, I do find like there's, some, there's times where like white people will try to like relate to us and like um, and yeah, they do it poorly. And like, sometimes you can tell, like, it's like, they like genuinely want to know, um, about our culture or like whatever they're trying to relate to. So like, yeah, you can see like, there's times where like, they genuinely want to know it. Sometimes you'd be like, okay, this, this guy's an idiot. Like, why is he, why is he doing this? Um, but like, I feel like to go about that, like, one, like, don't like, yes. Okay. So like, I know personally, like, if you, if you have some type of relationship with me, whether that's, like, um, you know my family is or, like, you just see me, you say hello to me on a daily basis. Like, if we have any type of relationship and you have a question about anything and you know it may be ignorant, um, personally, like, one, I would say, hey, like, maybe do a little bit of research. Don't just, don't just pick, uh, like, your... your black friend and be like, oh, let me just use this person as like my answer key to all like the whole black community. Don't do that. Like, just don't do that. Like, so like try to educate yourself. But like, if you genuinely want to know, like one, build a relationship um, with someone so like you can go to them in private and like just ask some questions. Um, don't make a big scene about it. Because I feel like, like, if you try to make a big scene about it, I feel like you're just going to try to, you're just doing it for show. But if you genuinely want to know, you want to, like, I wouldn't say relate to what's better. Because 
first and foremost, we're humans. Um, we're not, yeah, we're black, but we're, we're, we're humans. And so like, we're people. So just talk to us as, as people. Don't try to change up the, the lingo with us. Don't be like, yo, bro. Like, just just be who you are. And like, we were talking like we were talking about this yesterday. In order to build that relationship with us or with anyone, you have to be who you are. You can't change up. Okay, so it's a black guy here, and let me act this way. Or, oh, like you just can't do that because if you do that, you're not showing who you are. I mean, and we can't build a relationship toward like that. So, be who you are. Don't change up on us. Uh, if you have a question, if it's sincere, like, you can be like, hey, yo, bro, let me ask you a question. And, like, you can say, you can uh, preface it, like, yeah, this, this may be ignorant, but I honestly just want to know. And, like, I'm more than, I'm more than willing to, um, to answer a question. But first, I feel like you should also educate yourself. <clears throat> Everybody has a smartphone in here. It's maybe, like, one person doesn't get with the program. Dr. Madway, man, I think. <laughs> So like, and now I know like everybody is always on their phone, so it's not hard to like just, I mean, Google is right there. So if you have any questions, like you can Google and you can do your research, so. Okay. Um, let's talk about the N-word. Uh, will you talk about different perspectives and opinions in the black community um, and how you feel about white people um, in particular using the N-word? I think we actually have some differing opinions on the panel, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, okay, so, um, like we said before, opening up, we're not the spokespeople for black people. We are just saying how we feel. And I can tell you now, there's different, there's, there's black people who have different feelings about it, even up here. Um, So my, my feeling towards it, um, white people don't say it, plain and simple. Um, that's, that's how I feel. And the reason I feel that way is because um, it's just wrong. Like why would you, like why? Because I just feel like you shouldn't say it. And you, like, you may think in your head, oh, black people use it. And personally, I feel, yeah, black people use it. And I feel like it's our word. Like, back in the day, like, white people used that word to um, dehumanize us. And um, I feel like nowadays we use the word as like a, um, I don't know, like a, a greeting, like you're my brother and like, Things like that. So, like, I feel like, yeah, there's black people that say it. I feel like white people shouldn't say it. And, um, I mean, I, I hear white people say it. Like, I wouldn't say on a regular basis, but, like, I'm pretty sure, like, half of you guys say it. And um, you really, Do you really think that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Probably more than half. Wow. Um, and here's what I have to say about that. Well... Like, you can, like, okay, so it's hard not to hear the word. Turn on the radio, turn on your iPhone, whatever. You're, you probably have at least five songs on, 
on your phone or on the radio that says the N-word. And I feel like, okay, even when the song comes on and the N-word is being said, I feel like you shouldn't say it, even if it's in a song. Because I feel like once you start getting used to saying it during a song, you're going to start, you're going to feel more comfortable to use any of your regular vocabulary. And then, like I said, I hear you say it. I don't say anything. But, like I said, there's different, there's, black people feel differently towards the word. And so, I don't want you to feel comfortable saying the word, and then you may say the word, you may not even be calling someone the N-word, but you may say the word around the wrong black person, and he or she will flip out on you, and that will be the day that you regret saying the word. So I'm telling you, as a black person, for your safety, and I'm being serious, no, I'm being serious, like, don't say the word, because you may say it, you may say it around the wrong black person, and they will not handle it well. Um, I had an uh, instance where, um, and like, yeah, I, like I said, I know you guys say it, and I mean, we're all, we're all, we're not, we're not perfect. Um, I had um, an instance where uh, I heard a staff member say it, um, and um, it's, it's very uncomfortable, like, and like referring to a person or just as like a, a, an expletive or, or as like no, 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 they, relating um, to another individual? No, like this person used it in a way to like relate to me. So like this person said that like their friend called them, called them this word and to relate to me. So it wasn't like they said, oh, you're this or you're that or this person's this, this person's that. So he was kind of, it was like relating towards him, like themselves. And so, and it's very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Um, so like, I don't, I don't want you to think that like, oh, you guys are like, and I'm not just talking to like the young people in the crowd, like I'm talking to everybody, like just don't say the word because it's, I mean, like, why? Like, we Hold were up. talking. Hold up. Tell you, we let Naira and, and Eric jump in here. No, no, no. I, I, I don't want to drive this. I don't want to drive this into the ground. But I know they have, they have some differing opinions. Um, and I was wondering if you could just share those and. Uh, yeah. Um, personally, you know, I don't really, I don't use it, and I don't really like other people using it either. I mean, why? Out, out of all the words and in our dictionary and of our, our vocabulary, why use such a term that has such a, a negative past, such a hurtful past to it? I mean, you know, even, even if you get a past, why even use it? I mean, there's so many other words and it's so hurtful to, to other African-Americans, other black people. Um, why even take the chance? You know, just, just don't. Um, yeah, just uh, going off of what Eric said, so the, there are different takes on it. There are different takes on it within the black community. And so, like someone for like, for like Eric's view, looking at the history of the word, why would you want to use such a degrading word, right? But, so we probably shouldn't use it, if we're thinking about it. We probably shouldn't use it, but there are people that will use it. And when they're saying it, for black people, the, 
language evolves throughout time. And so the way that they use it is more as a, of a turn of like, hey, my brother, hey, like, you know, friend, whatever. It's a way of relating. It's a greeting. But when you hear that out of a, out of a white person's mouth, you don't, they don't have that same experience. And so it's confusing. And even if, for example, he said a pass, sometimes you get really close with a white, a white person, you have a really good friend or whatever. I've had one of those, and I was talking to her, and I was like, you know what? I love you, and I think we're close. I give you the pass. And <laughs> what I respected about that, though, was that she was like, I'm still never going to say it. And so I respected her even more because she didn't say it. And like Berto was saying, you, there's no reason to. Like Eric was saying, there's no reason to. But at the same time, there are people that have different views. And there are people that do use it. And just because they do use it, black people do use it, don't think that you can just start using it as well because you might just say it around the wrong person. That's good. Um, maybe a couple questions about life at Covenant College uh, specifically. Um, if you are talking to a prospective uh, uh, prospective black student about Covenant College, what are a few of the things that you would talk about as uh, specific challenges um, and specific uh, opportunities? Like some of the like, coolest things that they, might, that they might be able to experience uniquely as a person of color and some of the specific challenges that they might encounter. Um, Eric, would you, would you start? Uh, yeah, so I would tell them that Covenant is amazing. The people are amazing. I, I've had nothing but amazing times here. And the fact that this chapel is filled up right now to listen to me talk about my experiences, that, that's just overwhelmingly makes me happy. Um, you know, and so I, I would tell them that as a black student that it's going to be hard sometimes. You know, you're going to probably probably be the only black person in your class. And one day you're going to be having class and it's a, a heated topic about race might come up. And you might be looked at as the person to answer for all, all African Americans, all black people. And you're going to be like, oh, snap, no. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> But you know that's just that's just you, you know the, where we are. But I would tell them that being at Covenant is amazing, and the people are willing to learn and to tackle these tough issues with you as you're still learning, and they're eager eager to learn as well. Um, yeah, and there's just amazing people like Sarah Okondo and, and student development who you can talk to um, that will help you and will walk through things with you and is willing to tackle these tough issues with you and be like, hey, you know, I, I fail every day, you know, as a white woman, and I'm still learning, and I'm, you know, that's okay. You know, everybody's still learning. We're all, and the one thing, the most important thing to me is that no matter what tough issue we talk about, our unifying factor is that we're all tied together in Christ. And that because Jesus died on the cross, we can come together to tackle anything. And we can come in love and in peace and, and you know, actually get, get it done and realize that everything, the world is, is sinful. The world is affected by our sin and, and that that affects everything. And we can work through that together. Like Eric said, Covenant is great. Um, I am beyond happy with my decision of coming here. Um, I knew going, coming in that 
I will be one of the one of the few uh, black people on campus. Um, and I knew it was going to be a challenge. I know, like, like back home, I went to a predominantly white school, but within that, I had there was a a good number of of uh, black students, and we were really close. And so, like, branching out and going away from that. Um, and like not knowing like any black students coming in, like I knew it was gonna be a challenge. And so like that was one of the challenges that I faced. Um, and like one of the other challenges, like like you said, like you're gonna be you're gonna be the well, only black kid in your uh, class um, for like almost all your classes, but it's gonna be okay. Um, and one of the things that I love, one of the um, yeah, one of the things I love about Covenant and like, like even though like I'm one of the few black students on campus, um, it, ge it gave me an opportunity to lead. Um, like I don't know if I went to a, uh, a school where like there was like more black people on campus or like, I don't know, just like going to a different school, I don't think I would have had the opportunity that I've had here to lead on campus. And so I'm very appreciative of the opportunity. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, just going off of what they said, I mean, I appreciate being in Covenant College. I really love it. There's, it's rare, it's amazing, and I should be really appreciative, and we should all be really appreciative that we're in a place among other people that love God, and we're able to openly talk about him, openly worship him together, and have our teachers that care about us and also love God. Like, that's, that's a blessing. Um, but as a black student, there will be moments where it might feel isolating here because there are fewer people that, that might have your same experience, that have that, like, oh, crap, I'm the only black person in this class, and I know they're looking at me to answer something, but I don't feel like it. Um, it might feel isolating because you also don't know where to go. You don't know, like who to speak to about, your, about this experience, um, even in the staff, like there are a few staff members that are also black, so who can I go to? Like, do, is, can I get a mentor? Like, it's hard to find those resources, but I would encourage them that you can, um, that you can, and don't be afraid to seek out other black students and talk about their experience, because honestly, it's gotten me through a whole bunch of stuff, so. Great. Um, can we talk just a little bit about romantic life and dating at Covenant? as black students. Um, <laughs> I don't think it matters what color you are. Like, it, it's going to be a crazy discussion. But um, yeah, may, maybe any, any reflections or thoughts? Uh, I, got, I got this. <laughs> um, all right, so let me preface this by saying I think the black male experience is different than the black female experience. Um, I think white girls love black guys. They tend to, at least at this campus. Um, <laughs> but what's, what's kind of sad is I don't think I can say that the other way around. Um, and I don't really know why that is. I've talked to plenty of black, all the other black females about this, and we are kind of baffled. You see a lot of white girls going after black guys and black guys and white girl relationships, but you don't see white guys and black girls. And um, I think it's just this like social phenomenon that I can't explain. 
I don't know what's going through, I guess, white guys' minds here, but um, it, it, bothers, it bothers us, it bothers me, because you start to think, well, like, is there something wrong with us, or like, are we mean, or like something like that, but the truth of it is that we're all beautiful, we're all smart, we all love God, I thought that's what you wanted, and so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just something that <laughs> we all are just are just struggling to understand. My four years here, I've never seen a black girl and white guy um, relationship. And you hear like sometimes guys might be interested, but it's always um, low key. Um, and I think there's some reasons behind that as well. But yeah, it, it bothers us. And I don't know, maybe one day it'll change. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, for me, uh, so like, there's times where like, I get crap from uh, my friends, uh, particularly my black friends, um, even like here, back home. Um, they're like, okay, so you're a black guy. You're like, especially here, so like you're a black guy. Um, you're like the leader, the the voice of like, I don't know, the voice of like the black people. Why aren't you dating a black girl? Or like, why are you dating a white girl? Like they, they asked me questions like that. They were like, oh, you're fake, you're a fraud. Um, for me, growing up, I was always told like, I was always told, especially by like older black men you want to date, you want to marry someone that looks like your mom. And so my mom was black, and so, oh, my mom is black. <laughs> um, so, like, they always told me, yeah, you want to date, you want to marry someone that looks like your mom. And uh, even throughout high school, I was always told that because, like, like our dean of uh, students was, like, really close to me. He was, like, a mentor to me. He, was, he is black. And... He always telling me like you got to date someone that looks like your mom, um, and so like one day I went home. I was like I was a senior in high school. Went home, put my mom to the side. I was like I remember we were like coming out of the car, uh, getting home. I'm like mom, I got to talk to you. She was like what's up? I was like um, how would you feel if I brought home a girl and she wasn't black? And it was a conversation that I never like really thought I would go to my mom and ask about, like, I thought she would come to me and be like, I need you to, you can't, you can't date. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what she was going to say. But so I asked her that, and she told me that she wouldn't have put me in a situation where I would bring home, like, I would date, like, a white girl or any, any other race besides black. She wouldn't put me in a situation if she had a problem with it. And she told me that like, race is not a big thing. Like, if you, like, you love who you love. And it doesn't matter um, what they look like. Like, if they, if they love God, if they're beautiful, they're smart. Like, those are, those are the attributes that you want to look at. And so... <laughs> so... Uh, so, like, for me, okay. So, like, for me... 
I don't look like, okay, yeah, I, I, like I, I know this race. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't know this race because I feel like you should know this race. Um, but I just, like, I look at you as a human being. I look, I try to find, I try to get to know you as a person. I get to, I try to find your interests, your, your likes, your dislikes. And so that's, that's what I think is important. Um, so, I mean, if I love you, I love you. No matter who you are as a person, or yeah, it matters who you are as a person. But I mean, like, <laughs> I love you because of who you are, not the color of your skin. So. Yeah. Um, along with what they have said, you know, um, I come from a town where interracial dating wasn't isn't wasn't a big thing. Still isn't. The the fact was that. You know, if a white person got caught dating someone black, they could actually, like, be disowned from their family. And I know that's still kind of a reality for some people at Covenant, you know. So, um, you know, it's, it's still scary. You know, things are still changing. But I'm all for it. We're still trying to get Ari a girlfriend in 2018. <laughs> get Ari a girl. So this is this is a um, question for Eric. Eric, um, how might how might your experience as an African American um, in the current political climate be different than um, than uh, a white student uh, might experience sort of the current political climate in our country? Yeah. So obviously, I I'm the one that has to tackle this question. So. Uh, thanks, Naira and Bert. Um, Bert, Bert and Naira, Berto and Naira both said, we do not want this. <laughs> Eric's like, I'll take it. So I had to write something out. And yes, this is about Donald Trump. And I want to go ahead and preface this by saying I don't hate him. I mean, he is, he is hashtag my president. And whether I voted for him or not, I'm praying for him. He's our leader, and I'm hoping he does well because he leads all of us. But the day after he won, in my own town, not even the first incident, people drove around yelling, twerp black people, it's time for y'all to get out of our country. His rhetoric, his actions, his associations, his lack of sensitivity to minorities and to women are all scary. But the worst part of this Trump era is having to see your very own white Christian friends be yelling, build a wall as he uses fear to convince you that crime has skyrocketed due to illegal immigrants crossing the border in large, rather than just uh, illegal immigrants being from overstate visas, are saying he speaks his mind when he generalizes that black Americans are all in poverty and are all un uneducated, or no more Islamic terrorism as he targets Muslims but fails to speak out against white supremacy, white supremacy and mass shootings happening far more frequently by white terrorists than any Muslim. Or, hey, at least he is an Obama as he gets into Twitter wars with NFL players about their First Amendment rights at 3 a.m. I mean, it's eye-opening and it's alarming, but I'm glad it happened because it makes you realize that there's a lot of work to be done and that Trump isn't the problem, he's just a symptom. 
The reality is, it has, it's always been scary to be black in America. That hasn't changed. But I feel like if you all, my white brothers and sisters, you know, take heart to what we've been saying, to what MLK was saying, to what Jesus said on the cross 2,000 years ago, the reality for me and my children won't have to be scary. Mm. And that's how I feel with Donald Trump as my president. student asked a, a question that I'd like each of you to answer, if you would. Um, how is this making you feel right now? Um, one, I think it's pretty amazing that um, we have the opportunity to do this. I mean, looking back years ago, like, and I say years ago, like, it was some ancient time, but, like, it was, like, you have family members that was alive during this time that you probably in constant communication with. So like, it just happened. But like, if you look back, there's no way we would have been up here if we were in during that time. So like right now, I'm very appreciative um, to be given this opportunity to speak among you guys. Um, like, yeah, it's a little, it's a little nerve wracking, but um, it's, it's something that I feel like should be done. Um, because I know there's a lot of you that have questions that are genuinely um, curious of, I mean, maybe what it's like to be black, I don't know. But like, so like, yeah, this is, I feel like this is something that needs to be done and I'm glad it, it has been done. I'm glad um, to be a part of, of uh, a community where, yeah, may, maybe took, uh, a long time to get like this day off and to get uh, to celebrate Martin Luther King, but I'm I'm glad to be a part of a community to where um, it is being celebrated. Like I mean, it's hard, it's hard to like I know like last year and the year before, just just the times that I was I, I've been here, it was hard to like to be part of a community where Martin Luther King wasn't celebrated, and so it was like it was it was really hard to be to like to accept the community and to like want to be part of the community. But like now you see like things are changing. And um, so like, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be part of the community because I feel like we're making, we're making, uh, we're making progress. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm appreciative. Um, I feel the exact same. I feel very honored. Um, this is the first MLK day and this is history and so we're up here and we're like this is just amazing this is the first time this has happened and um, I'm, I'm just very honored to be a person that can contribute to even just like representing black voices from Covenant College past finally able to like voice some of the things that we've experienced and I'm also just incredibly thankful that y'all showed up I don't know if you came for the double chapel credit or for us but I'm really thankful so uh, yeah, it's amazing. That's all I have to say. Um, I think we would all echo. This has been amazing. Um, Berto, Naira, Eric. 
<laughs> you want to go a few more minutes? You guys want to go a couple more minutes? What time is it? 12, 14? Uh, okay, here's one. Uh, are there any voices of leaders um, that you think we uh, are missing uh, on campus? Are, are there certain voices, certain people um, that either coming to campus or, or certain voices that we might do well um, uh, to hear right now um, at this point in history? Anybody off the top of your mind? Nabil's dad, I mean. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I also saw that Carl Ellis is coming, is that next week? Get and it. so they're phenomenal speakers and they have so much wisdom, so. Good, very good. Um, this one's very practical. Uh, is, is lack of knowledge of black culture a roadblock or a hindrance to being friends with a black person? Because I, th I think, I think yeah. you may have experienced, and I, and I think I'm guessing there are a number of, of uh, white students and, and people, not just students, who've experienced um, not quite knowing exactly how to, not quite knowing how to, to reach out to be friends. Um, and, and I know that sounds silly, like we're just people, but is, it, is, is lack of your experience and your culture a roadblock to being friends? Um, I think this is a great question. The answer is no. You, you don't have to know everything about black culture to be friends with a black person. And I, we were talking about this last night, and Eric said this, like, phenomenal thing. He was just like, do you have to know everything about a, the Bible to be friends with a Christian? No, you don't. And um, I'm going to use one of my friendships, an example, Masha Lanska. She's Ukrainian, right? And she is my best friend. And she's from Ukraine. I knew nothing about Ukraine. She knew nothing about slavery, racism, all of these issues that she's like, you know, hearing through being here. Like she knew nothing about that. And the way that we became friends was just person to person. You get to know them as a person, you know, you just talk. And she's learned more about, you know, black culture, black, you know, what it means for me to be black because I've been to her about it because she's my friend. And I've learned more about Ukrainianness. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, no, you don't have to know everything about black culture. All right, we're at that time. Um, thank you guys so much. This has been a huge blessing. Let's pray. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for saving us from our sin. Thank you for calling us from every tribe and every nation uh, under uh, the sky to be your children. Uh, thank you, Lord, uh, for this time that we've had here. Thank you for um, the transparency, the openness, and the willingness of Eric and Naira and Berto to share their lives with us. Um, we look forward, Lord, to the day when we will stand before your throne of grace and mercy looking upon you and seeing you as you truly are, and we will do so with our brothers and sisters from every part of this world, every generation, every culture, every color, every language, and we will praise you, our great King. Uh, thank you, and please be with us and bless us by your spirit and in your name. This day we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sarah? I'm going to give a quick announcement. Um, at 1.30, so in a little over an hour, if you want to meet back here in the chapel, we're going to break up to go do some service projects in Walker County. 
Um, if you don't know, MLK Day is actually a national day of service um, for the U.S. And we think that we should be a part of it, not just because we're in the U.S., but because as believers, um, we would like to help take the lead on serving in humility. So if you can come back then, dress warmly. If you have keys and a car and are willing to drive, please bring your keys. That would be great. And we're, when you come back in at 1.30, you'll actually be divided up and sitting in your residence hall or some of your athletic teams because that's how we're going to divide up for work sites. Um, but thank you guys so much. Enjoy lunch.